The goal is always to understand how to respectfully refer to a person that you're engaging with. And because the main focus was that it wasn't beautiful, it, I could never get it to matter. I think when it flipped and it started being like, okay, this matters so much to me, it's automatically just beautiful. We want to acknowledge and respect anyone whose story has been overshadowed or unheard. We hope to give them a space and a platform to share their journey, and may they always be met with compassion. everyone. Welcome back to another episode on the Rahau podcast. This month's conversation is with someone we look up to a great deal, a kind and intellectual spirited Sikh. Pravdeep Singh Keho is today's guest on the Power of the Pride series. We discuss queer identity and Sikhi in depth. In this first part, we will be discussing educational terms and our personal experiences. We hope you enjoy this episode and learn from this series. So hi Pravdeep, it's so nice to have you on today. Would you like to introduce yourself first? Yes, hi Darshleen, thanks for having me. Um, and such a thoughtful welcome. I am Pradeep Singh, as you said. A little bit about myself is that I grew up in Southern California, spent a, all of my life in California, and then spent a little bit of time in the Bay of California for college before moving to Michigan for grad school and then heading off to where I am now in the Northeast for what's my current job, which is doctoral training. Uh, people still think that I'm in school, but actually being a doctoral student is my full-time job. So some fun things about me is that I live in a very plant-filled apartment, which I like to tell people, but none of the plants are mine. They're all my roommates, and I just work on making sure they don't die when he leaves. Um, lately, I've been spending a lot of time reworking my my ma's, my mummy's Punjabi recipes, uh, because I have a bizarre set of allergies. So old Punjabi ways of cooking don't exactly agree with uh, the whatever is going on in the stomach these days, uh, so to speak. And when I'm not reading about something new that I think is important or lately revisiting my childhood anime and TV shows, I'm working on being able to do my nails while brewing coffee. Um, and I'm actively looking for new ways to just enjoy sunny days, um, especially in the midst of an ongoing pandemic worldwide and in the U.S., so yeah, and then last but not least, I'm sick, I'm queer, I'm non-binary, and I use they and them pronouns. And for those beloveds who are listening, who speak Punjabi, I also use the as a pronoun, like Didi. And you can also refer to me lovingly as Masiji, if that's up your, up your alley. And I know for some folks, I love it when they do, and for other folks, they're like, this confuses me. And I'm like, that's okay, clearly not for you then. <laughs> so... No, Lovingly Mustache is my favorite <laughs> thing. I saw that in your bio, and I was like, that's golden. I've never seen something like better. Yeah, oh my and gosh. I think it's just like, you know, we're talking about gender today, and I think we are sort of moving from one way of thinking about gender or a handful of ways of thinking about gender to more expansive ways of thinking about it, or like more broader, open-ended ways of thinking yeah. about it. And for me, that was sort of when I realized, I was like, wait, why am I quote-unquote redefining myself all in English? That doesn't make any sense. I'm not English. I'm mm -hmm. not American. Like, that's not how I identify, uh, like, deep yeah. spiritually. So, yeah, no, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it today, but I'm glad that you like that one. 
I would also like to share my pronouns. So I am cisgender, I'm straight, but I use she, they pronouns, which has been such a revelation since last time we spoke. I'm so excited to share this with you. I don't know why. I was like, I have to tell my messiji. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about that further in the episode. There's so much to unravel and unpack that I've been learning a lot more of, um, which is so exciting for me right now. Yeah, I'm. that's so beautiful. Thank you for telling me. I... I want to pass over the mic to you and say, sorry, can we change it? Can you be like, can I interview you? I was like, I want to hear about that. I want to hear about my voice and my thoughts. (laughs) Okay, so to begin, we really want to talk about, especially in this first episode, kind of explain basic terms, what they mean, things like gender identity, um, fluidity, and kind of educate our community. Because a couple months ago, I think I put out a tweet like, there's a lot of our community that like supports queer people and queer six, but we don't really know what we're supporting. And there are other people who don't even understand it enough to maybe where they would support it if they understood it. So I think this is a really important conversation for our parents, our masis, our uncles, or whoever, mame, chache. Hopefully they can learn something from this. Um, and I really, really need, it's like imperative and so important for me to make it a more comfortable space for queer six, especially the younger ones that are finding out who they are and that are blooming and flourishing. So um, would you like to go ahead and start on educating us about it? Uh, Sure. Uh, I would like to say that we're co-educating here. Uh, My credentials just mean that I know what a bunch of words mean, but (laughs) we'll be teaching each other. I promise you that. So I figured we had talked a little bit about a few words that might be helpful to talk about to give people an idea, uh, or like what you were saying about foundations. So one very simple one that I think is important for the everything else that comes after, um, so is identity. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I figured we'd start with identity. Uh, This is very close to what I study because uh, systems of racism and systems of colonialism, uh, their whole goal was to try and make us think that we are an other because we were other to to them, um, the people who were coming in. So they needed to pin down who we were in order to figure out how they could engage with us. Mm-hmm. So identity is an important part of that because that's how they thought about us and they put labels on us. And we did that to other people too. Mm-hmm. So even though we did that, identity is actually something that I can never tell you what your identity is. I can tell you how your identity may have been formed through events, processes, or relationships to other people or communities or nations. A lot of people in our community talk about the quote-unquote impact of 9-11 or growing up in a quote-unquote post-9-11 world. Mm -hmm. That's a way of talking about our identity as it's linked to that type of event, that type of history. Mm -hmm. So you can also talk about identity as a way to like historically built or contemporarily maintained systems of racism, patriarchy, capitalism, ableism, or climate destruction, climate change, to name a few. And all that means is that a lot of people are starting to now think about their identity as tied to addressing these issues rather than as just an individual way of thinking about themselves. Mm-hmm. So they're thinking about what what am I doing that's both, uh, I, to put it, Simply, what am I doing that's making things worse? What are things that I'm doing that are making things better? And what am I doing that essentially doesn't change anything, but I'm telling myself it makes things better? Um, 
So those are sort of the conversations that people have around identity. But at the end of the day, I can't tell you what your identity is. I can tell you how I perceive and experience how you go through the world. A lot of people will say that is your identity. Um, and like we just said, that's related to the identity. But it's not, for everyone, that's not necessarily how they would define their identity. For instance, when I would go out in the world, people, I, I mean, it happens, other people will tell you this too, like, I get called a terrorist. Would mm -hmm. I ever say that that's how I identify? Personally, I would never say that. Yeah. But I mean, like, that's a very direct way of thinking about the way that other people's perceptions are actually labels put onto us. But what we do with those labels is our identity, not necessarily the label itself, right? Yeah. So when people right. are making claims around, like, identity-based claims in politics or culture, or, you know, it could be in home, it could be work, school, or in society, one way of thinking about identity is to make the distinction between identity as, like, me and identity as we is a phrase that we can use. Yeah. Um, and if we do that, then we always understand the two things, how... Our identity is linked or relational, is how we say it in a lot of academic ways, but also how identity can then be used to uplift and to harm people at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I think this is the helpful way of thinking about it in relation to Sikhi, because, like I said, there's identity as me and then identity as we. I would say that our Sikhi's focused on trying to erase our ego isn't erasing identity as me. It's actually trying to say one or the other. Either you are only identity for the we or only identity for the me. Mm -hmm. And home and ego is what makes us into those boxes. Yeah. Instead, I like to, what I, when I read Gurbani and what I've learned for it over my life has been that it's, we actually need to think about it in both ways mm -hmm. because we are six, but we're also part of a bunt. That is a literal identity is me and identity is we, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that, I figured we'd start with identity. Are there any questions off of identity off of that so no, far? No, that totally makes sense. And I love the view you have on it with Sikhi, yeah. Yeah. So when we have a sense of it as identity in that way, now we, I think it's a lot easier, maybe, mm -hmm. for some, hopefully. You will feel free to ask questions as we go along, um, to understand what people mean about their gender identity. So yeah. I'm going to go through just one, two, three, four, five, okay, six words, seven words that we chose beforehand to chat about. I'm going to try and do it very straightforwardly, very simply. We'll use an example maybe to help things out. Mm -hmm. So the first one that we talked about was non-binary. So people hear this a lot. Maybe they hear it in their schools. Um, my parents <laughs> barely have heard of this, despite me being uh, identifying as non-binary. This isn't necessarily how I talk to them. I explain, I, I tell them what non-binary is, but I may never tell them the label, right? Yeah. So non-binary refers in one way, on one hand, to the binary. So the gender binary is a belief and it's a practice. It's not just an idea, it's a belief and a practice. So you believe that humans are exceptionally different than all other species on this planet. There are two genders and sexes on our in our species, and you enforce a strict divide between boys and men on one side and girls and women on the other side in our species. So Gen the gender binary isn't just something about how we as humans get along. It's about how we see ourselves as a species in this world. Mm -hmm. and, and then how we get along with each other. <coughs> Excuse me. So 
And in order to make this happen, people usually use one-sided biological definitions about hormones or chromosomes or other science things, saying that there are only male people and then female people in the species. So someone who says that their identity is then non-binary is usually saying that they do not not find home in this system of categorization. Mm. That's the baseline. Mm. That is maybe the one thing that unites all non-binary people or all people who identify as non-binary. Yeah. After that, non-binary people can express their identity however they want. And I think this is what trips up other people is that, let's all use an example. You know, we don't have to get super into our heads. So you may see me as you're walking around um, and I may be dressed in a cute outfit, like a dress and comfortable heels with no makeup. And another person next to me is wearing jeans and a t-shirt and a full face of makeup next to me. To someone walking by, they don't know mine or my friend's identity, right? Like I said earlier, you can't know what my identity is. Right. Um, but they may assume that we're both trans, even if my friend identifies as cisgender and put on makeup that day to make me feel safer and not alone in public. Mm-hmm. But to that person who's walking by, they don't know, right? Yeah. So that's why non-binary, I think, is hard for a lot of folks to understand is that they come across all these people who they experience as what I like to call question marks uh, Mm -hmm. for their own gender categories. And they need to turn that question mark into a period or into something that they already know. Mm -hmm. And we're a curious species, humans, that's what, apparently that's what we do. Um, So it's not unusual for us to want to have an answer to that question. But what is unusual is that people want to turn those question marks into periods rather than leave them as question marks. And periods are defined. And in some ways that means also extinguishing us and preventing us from existing as question marks. Yeah. So that's what non-binary, that's sort of a embodied or an experiential way of thinking about non-binary identity. So that's non-binary identity. Um, Since we're talking about things like the gender binary, and I figured it makes sense to then make sure that we have a solid sense of what we mean when we say transgender identity. So I mentioned in the example that I just talked about, right, that someone walking by or moving by may look at me and my friend and say, oh, they're both trans. And I'm I have no problem. I I can. This is actually helpful for us to now define. Uh, non-binary identity is how I understand myself, but I don't expect every passerby to know that. They may just categorize me under what they know as non-normative gender for them. And over time, especially in the last decade or two, people who identify as transgender are usually referring to their identity, not resonating with the gender category that the doctor and the family put on the newborn child, and then also on the child every single day of their life as they were being raised in the family, right? So it's not just a one-time moment, it's a daily occurrence. And I think that's maybe something that trips people up is that they don't realize that. So another way of thinking about it is that it is related to non-binary gender identity because some some trans folks do identify as non-binary trans folks. And at the and they mm-hmm. may use this interchangeably, like I do sometimes in my own experiences, or when I'm talking to certain communities who understand these sorts of nuances, these differences. But that doesn't always have to be the case, because transgender doesn't apply anything about sexuality, or about anything about ideology, or anything about beliefs. There are binary trans folks too, which mean they're, they actually, they unlike myself, they identify as trans and also they may identify as like a trans man um, or 
you know, I've also met people who identify as non-binary trans men or trans women. Um, and that if you just get confused, I always tell people, I was like, the best thing to do is if you're trying to respect someone, the best thing you can do is ask them how mm-hmm. to best respect them. Because the worst thing you can do is continue to disrespect them. So you have to take on a little bit of that, that courage, a little bit of that vulnerability in order to say, ah, I don't know what you just said, but I know that I care about you enough to be uncomfortable to learn. So can you please? Mm-hmm. This is one time. Um, so another way of thinking about transgender, uh, just to sum that up real quickly, is at the end of the day, what folks who are saying when they identify as trans is, hey, society, parents, doctor, family, you assigned a label to me at birth and raised me under that label, and you kind of got it wrong and ignored all the ways I tried to tell you that it was wrong along the way. Mm-hmm. And then, in contrast, cisgender is used to refer to folks who don't share this experience of dissonance. So when folks identify as cis, what they're saying is, hey, society, parents, doctors, family, you assigned a label to me at birth and raised me under that label, and you got it relatively right. That was cool. Now, this doesn't mean that cisgender folks don't experience gender-based harm in all sorts of ways. It just means that they don't experience transphobic gender-based harm. Um, mm-hmm. So, for example, yeah. cisgender women experience all kinds of patriarchal violence in their homes, in medical industries, in public and work, based on standards that they are held to as an assumed subordinated group. Meaning that cisgender mm-hmm. women, and this is what people talk about when they talk about patriarchy, it's the idea of imposing ideas or roles or assumptions of who you should be because you are a lower rung of the ladder, right? Um, On the flip side, cisgender men can also experience other kinds of patriarchal violence in their homes, public places, and work based on the standards they're held to as a presumed dominating group. So in the way that we take these assumptions, ideas, and practices that say, hey, you are a woman and you actually should be doing these things that are a lower level, we sort of flip that, and when we talk about men, and we say, you're supposed to be a dominating group. You should be acting like this way in order to be a dominating member of society. That doesn't mean that the, same, mm-hmm. the cisgender men and women experience the same issues around gender-based violence when it comes to patriarchy, but I like to remind folks that like, when we're talking about gender, we're always talking about patriarchy. So we're talking about the ways that those ideas that you are supposed to be in this box lower than this other box that everyone is supposed to be in. And now we're trying to create new boxes, but some folks are like, fine, the new box can exist, but it has to even be lower than the other one, <laughs> you know? Yep. Yeah. So that leads us a little bit into talking about, like, we, we can talk about different types of femininities and masculinities, but we won't, <laughs> um, and how our investments in certain types of femininities and masculinities can be helpful or harmful. And, you know, maybe we'll talk about that in the second half of the conversation. But that's really where we hear a lot of the stuff around, like, you're a god, you should be acting like this, or you're a sing, you should mm-hmm. be acting like this. It's really at this this level of masculinity and femininity is that we have those issues popping up, um, I would say. But it's not the same for everyone, so I'm not saying that's a universal rule. Gender neutral is related to all this. So, so far we've done non-binary, we've done identity, we've done trans, and now we're hopping on over to gender neutral. I personally don't come across people using this term for their own identities too often, but that's just based on my limited experience, and also that people are finding such expansive ways 
to identify now. So I usually see it as a way for organizations or other collective entities to try and communicate an identity as we, as opposed to an identity as me. So like they're saying in this space, we're not creating hierarchies of gender because most places have hierarchies that value men and cisgender people being at the top. Alternatively, if you come across folks who use gender neutral as an identity as me, uh, to use the terms we talked about earlier, I would say that the person is trying to communicate or say the same sort of idea to you. Uh, they may not feel out of place within a binary system of gender, but they don't feel at home enough to want to claim one of the binary defined genders, so to speak. So they're not saying, hey, I reject this personally, I'm somewhere here, but these boxes aren't fitting for me. So I'm just going to, I'm going to stay in the system, but I'm neutral. Mm -hmm. um, if you're talking with someone, um, I would suggest, like I said earlier, asking respectfully, hey, I'm not familiar with how you just described your gender, but I want to respect and honor you regardless as I learn to understand it more. Are there things that I can do to make sure you feel safe and supported by me? Right. That's just just giving you language that you can play with and figure out what makes the most sense. Now, with gender fluid towards the end now, with all of that background, people who identify as gender fluid, hopefully you're starting to see that we're getting what people call a spectrum mm -hmm. here. Right. We're getting people who are saying, hey, this system of binary gender, if we think about yeah. it as a house, some people are saying, oh, yes, this room is perfect for me. That room is perfect for me. Some people are saying, nope, these rooms don't work for me, but I'm OK in the house. Other people are saying, wow, this house literally hates everything about me. I'm going to the one across the street. <laughs> or maybe I'm going to the one that's in right next door, the connected house or something like that, you know? So with gender fluid, folks, gender fluid folks who identify as this, what they're usually telling us is that they don't identify with a singer, right? You're not trying to show mastery of the dictionary of gender words. You're trying to say, you're a human, I'm a human, we're talking, I should be able to respect you. And this is the thing you just mentioned, I don't know about it, so there's a chance that I might not know how to respect you or I might disrespect you because of it. So yeah. asking is usually fine. Be thoughtful about it, though. Um, don't ask a stranger that you have no relationship with. Uh, oh, and then yeah. now... That I feel like is invasive. It can be... Yeah. That's... Now, you're entirely yeah. right. I think... So uh, in my experience, when a lot of this stuff was quote unquote first going on, uh, which was like my mm -hmm. college and high school years, um, that was a really big thing. Uh, people were like, don't ask me, you're a stranger. Why are you talking to me? Because that's what people did. They're like, oh, you should ask if you have questions. And people literally took that to mean, oh, you just identified yourself differently than me in the classroom. I'm going to find you after class and just ask you point blank. Or I'm going to oh write something God. on the Facebook wall and ask you to define yourself. I remember, yeah, like what? this is sort of the, the experiences that people had, which led a lot of people to then say, stop asking me and do research on your own, which really led, I think, to mm -hmm. the whole Google it movement <laughs> that you see, <laughs> which obviously Google has its pros and cons yeah. because, you know, you don't see things based off of like what's most helpful. It's based off of what Google things help is you're most likely to want to know. So there's a little bit of self-confirming bias in your searches. But in that time, that was sort of what the dynamic was happening. I think now with enough resources out there and with enough people openly identifying this way, if you're, if you call someone your friend and you don't understand something they said, I would hope that you would ask them a question to clarify. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Something that I've learned is that you can't expect one person to be the spokesperson for the entire community. And I definitely know it has been for like friends and family. It's It becomes annoying to be asked questions as if you are the spokesperson for the family. Or, hello, as if you are the spokesperson for the entire community. Family's fine. And that kind of goes for many minorities. Not everyone's going to like, not one queer person can't speak for every queer person on the face of the planet. And... I definitely want like the readers to know, don't, or the listeners, our listeners to know that don't, just because you find one queer person, don't start pecking them with questions on every single thing because they might not even know. Yeah, and no, you're in complete, you're completely right. And I think the flip side of it, and the reason I think that's really important, is that it, when it comes to gender variance or even sexuality variance. So in this case, I'm talking about folks who are Mm -hmm. queer, folks who are trans, folks who are not cisgender. Mm -hmm. Cisgender folks love using their friends who happen to have one of these identities. And if one of us says, hey, that was transphobic, they're like, my trans friend said that that's not transphobic. And they love doing that. Six especially, which is very weird to me. I was like, how would you feel if someone said this other sick said that? Like, it's... It's yeah. it's not just about minorities. It is definitely focused on minorities, and there's a very specific racist history and sexist history um, around that. But you're completely right. Mm-hmm. The logic of it, in this case, in a lot of contexts, is the same. We don't want people to be spokespeople for a huge group unless they're actually signed up to do it. But some people want exactly. to do that. And you kind of have to be careful of people who want to speak for an entire community that isn't actually a full community. We are a constituency of people who experience the world in linked ways. So if people are like, mm-hmm. aha, I'm speaking for this community, my first question is like, which one? Like, which trans community? You can't just speak for the trans community. Which one? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so before we forget uh so yeah so yeah uh, the last one i think this is our last one so with gender queer it's related to gender fluid in the sense that folks who identify as gender queer also may move through categories of like male and female fluidly fluid meaning like water right uh or air or other types well air is not a fluid but you know like moving uh they may be okay with Mm -hmm. existing categories in the house in the system and just moving through them rather than being in a distinct new category relative to male and female for instance so if you go back to the example i used of like the house being the gender binary this person may say hey Mm -hmm. i'm actually okay just hopping between rooms I don't need a permanent room. I'm I'm okay just sleeping. My sister loves sleeping in literally whatever room of the house she feels like that day. I'm not saying that that's genderqueer, but I'm saying that dynamic where you don't feel the need to be rooted in one category or box of all times, right? The one slight difference between genderqueer and genderfluid is that typically genderqueer, though not always, um, is a, carries, has a sexuality context to it so folks who may use gender fluid may only mean it in terms of like their gender identity and they're communicating that with you folks who are gender queer may also be communicating that their sexuality they identify as queer so again if you mm-hmm. don't know if you have a relationship with this person it's google ask questions um but that's sort of the relationship between uh, as we use it right now between gender fluid and gender queer 
one thing I'll say, and I think this, this is, since we're done with definitions, I'll just go back to the beginning where we started this, right? Um, I study the histories of racism and colonialism in the U.S. So you're seeing mm-hmm. all these new folks come up with new categories and new label and ways of describing themselves. And I think there's this sort of response from people who are older in the community or folks who are like, just not, just don't understand this. They're like, why does this have to be, right? I think Mm -hmm. one thing that may be helpful for them to understand is that the world that they think is normal, sorry, the world that they think is natural is not natural. It's made, it's constructed. And instead, what they're talking about is a world that they and their elders and their friends have gotten used to. In other words, a normalized worldview, not a naturalized worldview. And the reason I say that is because when you look at countries or just communities across the world um, prior to European colonization, uh, they weren't perfect. You know, Uh, the world was and is always a bit of a mess because... That's just how the world is sometimes. But what colonization did for a lot of different places is they started building homes, literally and also ideologically. So like we were saying earlier, if we think about the gender binary as a house, right? What colonialism did in a lot of places was that they saw people were living on farms. They saw people were living in trees. They saw people live in in streets, but happy and, like, taken care of by the community. They saw people living in things that they did not understand. And people were using language and words and things that they did not understand. And because colonizers in this context did not understand, they made friends with the other people who were already there, who they thought they can get with, like, who agreed with them, who Mm -hmm. wanted more power. And over time, they were able to find, in, like, different countries create alliances where they basically enforced everyone into these quote-unquote homes, so to speak. We all have to live in gender binary homes now. No, no, no. This idea of the gender binary only emerged as like a scientific quote-unquote fact from 1800 racist sciences where they were trying to tell everyone Mm -hmm. that there was a hierarchy of the human species divided by races. And the way that they did that partly was by also defining by uh, binary gender accordingly in order to say this is how women who are white who are the top of the hierarchy are supposed to be like this is how the next rung is and so on and so forth and they have such a separate role in society to produce the offspring that they actually are fundamentally different than men and they shouldn't be making decisions around governance. They shouldn't be making decisions around how society should work. That was a choice made by powerful people and a choice made by weak people in order to turn the world into what we see it today. So now as you see people saying, hey, I have, like your friend, I have these new, these labels, even if the label's new, what they're talking about is sort of a, not just a reclamation, but a constitution of a new world where we actually don't all have to live in like, quote unquote, houses that colonialism demanded us to be in. But instead we can ask ourselves, what do we need to live? Mm -hmm. No, I totally agree. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode from the Power of Pride series. We hope that the Sangat listening to this will benefit from this conversation. We want to clarify that these are vulnerable conversations that are varying viewpoints from our guests, our hosts, and others. 
At no point has our intention been to force or push an agenda moving forward. Thank you for joining in on this discussion. We would really appreciate it if you could follow us on Instagram at Sixteens and at Rahal Podcast. You can find Prabdeep's Instagram tag below in the bio. Vai Guchika Khalsa, Vai Guchiki Fateh.